Hi everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSE. CSE is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It's my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. Hi, Derek Harper, founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. Got another great episode for you today. It's going to be a little different. It's not going to be, um, we've done so many of the biography-based ones, although I am going to ask these two gentlemen for a little mini biography, but we're going to get into a, a topic matter, integrating OT systems into your SIM. And this is great because this comes up, these questions around working with SIMs and how do I do with all the data coming from different places? Uh, how do I make sense of it? Especially OT-related applications. We see these questions a lot. So we're going to get into that. Uh, be great. So I've got Chase Richardson, who is the head of the U.S. operations for Bridewell, which is headquartered in uh, in, in the U.K. And I've got uh, Martin Riley, who is the director of managed security services for Bridewell. So welcome to the show, gentlemen. Perhaps uh, maybe we start with a little bit of uh, context of how you ended up where you are today, especially sort of the convergence of operating technology and cybersecurity, which came first? I'll introduce myself first. So lovely to meet you, Derek. Thanks for having us. So Martin Riley, as you said, Director of Managed Security Services at Bridewell. Fundamentally, it means I look after security operations, incident response, and threat intelligence for our global customers across the convergence of both IT and OT. Uh, I've been in operational roles, including security, since about 2002, and currently sit on the global subcommittee for forums such as Crest, which is a nonprofit organization working with governments and commercial organizations building standards around security operations. And one of my key passions has been the integration of OT into more traditional SOCs and technologies. My first interaction with OT came back in 2013. Now, I'm sorry to say I've never been an OT engineer, but I have owned and operated the management of such systems. So back in my heyday, I was an infrastructure engineer, infrastructure manager for international cloud service providers. And I, I inherited data center services. So looking after the m aspect of data centers, so running HVAC, power distribution systems, crack systems. And that was my first foray into industrial control processes. Now, it's not a huge control process, but 14, 15 um, facilities dotted around the world. No two are the same, in fact. The data centers themselves, the systems that sit inside them are different from one data hall to another. The power footprint, the capacity, the current load, and you usually build them out as you go in terms of the cooling, the crack capacities. So my foray into it was around more around asset management and understanding remote access into those environments. We had some aging infrastructure, so needing aggregated telemetry, remote monitoring was a key requirement. I remember one facility had really poor cooling here in the UK. And on the hottest days, we'd literally have to modify the set points, send an engineer outside and start hosing down the cooling systems with sprinklers and water systems. So that was my first foray into um, operational technology. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, Martin. Chase, what about you? Yeah, definitely. So I have an even less traditional path, <laughs> you know, when, when you look at Barton. So I've been advising on some way, shape, and form risk to organizations for the last 15 years or so. When I, when I say risk, it can be you know organizational risk, uh, financial risk, cybersecurity risk, so on and so forth. Um, so I did that, advised on risk, 
uh, within financial services for about five years uh, before making the leap into cybersecurity. So that was about a decade ago. And I've been even more high level, you know, uh, I have my MBA from Emory. Um, I've been a VC so for dozens of companies over the last decade. And so it's my strength and knowledge comes from helping the board understand and helping the C-suite understand cybersecurity risks. So taking kind of the, the, the engineers, listening to them, dissecting and translating a lot, a lot of the, the important facts and points to the board so that they are well aware of the risk, investments that are necessary, maximizing ROI and, and seeing cybersecurity as less of a cost center, which is an ongoing issue. But that's that's currently what I'm doing at Bridewell and I'm in charge of the, the US PL. So helping out and, and listening to a lot of our clients here in North America doing the same thing, helping hear the problems and identify those problems and then connect them with um, our vast array of OT solutions. That translation layer you're talking about is no, uh, that is no joke. Uh, there's a lot of frustrated security people and they are commonly in part of our asking questions and I see them in the dialogues and things and it's around, how do I get my boss? How do I get the board? How do I get senior executives? It's all the same phrasing, you know, plus or minus a word or two. It's all the time. How do I get them to care? How do I get them to take care like I do? Probably to get more budget, probably to get more buy-in, all those sorts of things. And it's about using language, uh, translation, using language they care about, talking in terms about risk, you know, that they that they already think along those lines and not talking about probably the features and functions of a software product. And, you know, it, it's um, it's there's a lot of you out there that, that would benefit from uh, from, you know, learning more of what uh, what you were talking about there, how to, how to do that. So we could have a whole podcast on that. Uh, probably should. Uh, but let's talk about let's talk about Sims. I remember, you know, I started my first cybersecurity company in 1997, and I, I want to say I met one of the early founders. And I don't even know if they called it a Sim then, but back then, like right, early 2000s, 2001, two or three. Uh, so Sims, uh, or or you know, a dashboard to see all this, you know, this data it goes back a ways, and it's evolved a lot over the years. And uh, when I started or branched over into OT, uh, circa 2011. No real discussions yet uh, about Sims and and these OT environments. And since then, things have accelerated. There's socks. There's pure socks in some places, or there's socks that say we're going to have some people within them that understand OT. So I guess you know a subsector within our sock that's OT smart, OT aware, um, and then the IT centric you know folks are going to be in our sock as well. And you know where does all this data go? What kind of data? You know, and how does it all work? And you know, are off the shelf Sims ready to work with? you know, the OT concerns and the OT environments that a company might have. And, and I think this is great, too, because I've heard some some very senior leaders at big companies say, we shouldn't really be buying, if we can, it'd be really ideal to not be buying separate technologies, and not just talking about SIMS, but other things as well. I mean, if we could, like, we have an investment maybe in some big systems, it'd be great if we could use it. So I'm curious also about that, like, what, what, what we can do. So let's just talk about the brief history of SIMS as it pertains to OT environments? Well, as you called out in terms of your early days, it, it predates uh, the early 2000s. But as you said, it wasn't called SIM back then. Uh, it started out as what? Security Event Management, so SEM. Yeah. I think the, I think the term SIM was coined by Gartner in 2005. Uh, so yeah, really early on. So it's, it's only really been around in for the last 20, 30 years. But if we look at operational technology, that 
that's not exactly a long lifetime, is it? I mean, some systems have been in existence 40, 50 years in terms of operating life cycle. So the consideration of generating logs that can feed something such as a SIM is still relatively new in the industry. But if you look at SIM aside and some of the technology that sits around this, there's Forescout, a vendor that set up in 2000. Um, so again, the understanding that telemetry or understanding the the what's going on in the OT environment has been there, as you say, for 20, 23 years, 24 years as we are now. So it's nothing new, but it's really evolved over the years. And for me, if we look back to the earliest recorded ICS security event, Stuxnet, operation lasted, what, between 2005 and 2010, and the um, NERC-SIP protocols and standards came out in 2008, right in the middle of that operation from the U.S., uh, for some strange reason. But then we started to see an uptick in terms of vendors coming to the market in terms of capability. Again, looking at OT-specific vendors, Radiflow 2009, Nozomi 2014, at 2013 Clarity, then Dragos coming on shortly after. But again, it's not really had huge adoption probably until the last five years. The event that stands out the most for me is Ukraine in 2015. If we look at all the reports that came out at the back of that, so FireEye in 2016, um, SANS with the EISAC from Ukraine in 2016 and the Schweizer Engineering Lab report in 2017, we're all going on about the lack of logging and monitoring that led to the inability to be able to foresee or early detection, but also hindered forensics and response and recover because they didn't actually know what was going on. But it's only since some of those attacks have become mainstream that actually people have started to realize that bringing visibility and telemetry from that environment into something, whether it's a SIM or otherwise, has been a key priority. And you're talking about consolidation of vendors. It's it's still a struggle. We're seeing some of the OT vendors at the moment start to delve into the world of creating XDR technology, using their operational technology platforms to now to be able to integrate technology and signals from EDR crossing both IT and OT to try and bypass the SIM story and build their own platforms and capabilities. But we've seen relatively new up-and-comers such as Microsoft that acquired Sentinel capability, built out its wide variety capabilities, but then made the acquisition of Cybrex three years ago to be able to bring both IT, and, uh, IT OT, and the SIM into one potential offering. Now, there is still nothing perfect out there, but I think there is still a long way that we can go from where we are at the moment to maximize what is the art of the possible when it comes to bringing OT data into a SIM. Chase, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Um, I don't. I don't think so. Just just from a um, from a like a, a business standpoint, we're seeing the need for that. Not only is it is it requested, and is it does it make it easier on the end user to have everything in one place, right? Especially when you're looking at vendor consolidation, which continues to remain one of you know Gartner's um, you know of their surveys. That's one of the main one of the main ideals, one of the main goals that cyber outfits, you know, cyber security within the organization, that's one of the things that they're trying to do is consolidate vendors. And when we look at that, so not only is it making it easier for the end user to have everything in one place, we're also seeing a push when you look at 
organizations that are acquiring and merging with so M&A activity within these organizations, especially OT. Because just if you look at OT, so traditional OT, energy, utilities, you look at M&A deals just from 2023 this past year when compared to the year before, these deals have tripled in the, just in, in 12 months. And we continue to, the trends look like they're going to continue to, to maintain that, that high level of growth. And so if you think about not only the IT, OT, and SIM environments for individual organizations, but when you're thinking about the integration of new organizations trying to, you know, inputting their systems and bringing on board and migrating their systems into what, what these organizations are already using, it makes it even more paramount in order to reduce that cyber risk to make, to, to integrate into one instead of maintaining all of these separate systems from, you know, company X that was acquired two years ago and company Y that was acquired four years ago and so on and so forth. It's just way too much for security teams to maintain. And so it just, it's, it's an even, it drives that integration and of IT, OT, and, and SIM platforms into one because you've got, from an organizational standpoint, it's just not scalable to use all these separate systems. And then, you know, it's just easier on the end user to just have have one, uh, one vendor, one system, or one set of systems that play really nice together um, to, to make daily operations as uh, as seamless as possible. Yeah, that theme has come up a lot for years, the idea that so many security vendors creates its own uh, unintended security consequence. It, 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 there's Achilles heels in there, you know, whatever analogy you want to use, because there's so many different pieces and they don't all, you know, work or converge in the same ways. And it's also costly. You know, I, I had a senior leader in industry confide in me last year. He said, I've always been for separation. He's the OT cyber leader for a huge company that everybody would recognize. And he said, but I've got, I've got he's very senior now. He's like, I'm starting to look at the cost of are we gonna have our own? We gotta have all our own stuff. Big, big. So he was talking about big technology purchases. So now I'm wondering, maybe we really can leverage assets that we're buying. You know, and Sims come to mind. You know, I don't remember if you mentioned that specifically by name, but uh, or by category. But it, it comes to mind for that sort of thing, right? It's like we're buying everything over here, and then we're gonna buy it again over here. You know, gotta keep it separate. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We're also seeing convergence of of leadership teams, you know, and I know this is a hotly debated thing, but the concept of like, you know, does it trace up to one person eventually? I'm like, oh, it mustn't. I, I'm thinking of people in, in operational roles. I've heard it was like, oh, but that, that, you know, mustn't happen. I, I think it's going to. Everything I read, and not my opinion, just reading, looking, observing, talking to people um, at the organization level, you know, what what are you guys seeing the trends of, of, you know, and I think this will play back into Sims, you know, who's responsible IT and OT being these separate, complete separate functions, not that's not going to be the case at some day in the future. I, I think some, some of the things that I'm seeing here in the UK, specifically, Derek, is security or cybersecurity is becoming business wide. And to some degree, cybersecurity isn't necessarily owning either the IT or the OT when it comes to actually executing anything, whether it's governance, whether it's security operations, it's starting to apply those standards, those capabilities and ownership of the both into one entity so that means that ot engineering can continue to do and own and run their daily operations it's just that they've got to now have oversight or feed into a, a cybersecurity or a risk processing chases instance just as 
IT do. For many years, IT have considered security in parts of ITIL and change management, et cetera, et cetera. It's just something that we're seeing translate across to the OT world as well, just to be able to bring them in line. As you say, it's far easier and far more economical to be able to operate one set of technologies or a smaller number of teams than trying to apply pockets of it in certain areas where actually if you consolidate, you're able to get that center of excellence, as it were. You're able to build depth and capability in one area rather than isolating and reducing that skill set. Yeah, that 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 speaks you know volumes to me. And it's it's not about giving the responsibility to those guys. It's about new hybrid teams that will have people on them that have different disciplines. I know that some of the fear is like IT taking over the security of our plant. That's not that's not the vision of the future. It's people qualified on composite teams or hybrid teams, tiger teams, whatever term you want. There do need to be some people who have some key expertise on that. But a group is sort of thinking about how all this works together and managing it versus these siloed, you know, things. And so the siloed technology or siloed people, either way, it's not good. So back to Sims, you, you know, first of all, do you have a sense or maybe you know, how many how many Sims are there? How many companies would consider their product a Sim? I don't think I could give you an actual answer. I mean, Gartner are tracking probably 20 in the uh, in their magic quadrant at the moment, and, and they're just the, the major players, right? So yeah. the number of products that are out there, open source as well, extends well into the hundreds, probably. I, I still know many organizations, even in critical infrastructure, that's still leveraging open source, just because, again, back to your point in terms of cost, uh, but some of them have done that out of necessity. I have regulations to be able to adhere to, um, but the regulations say I need to have monitoring in place or centralized logging, but not necessarily a service that wraps around it. Uh, so to some degree, an open source, same whether it's Elasticsearch or otherwise, meets the requirements, ticks the box, but sits there collecting evidence and dust. Yeah. There seems to be also a, like a new push for NDR, with sort of asset discovery being the you know the key benefit versus visibility detection is that what does that mean you know and did you see that and what does what does that mean for end users? I think when I was talking about the original site, uh, timeline of SIM and OT, I was talking about vendors such as Forscout, uh, Nozomi, Clarity, etc. They have been around, uh, say, Forscout, so over twenty years old, so they've got great heritage, foundation, and capability when it comes to OT. But we're seeing that there is still the or still the concept that network detection response, which is fundamentally what these vendors are, is really the only choice that applies when it comes to operational technology. Now, I come from, as I said, my background's IT. I've, I've dabbled in operational technology, but my love, my passion is threat intelligence. So again, if I look at the attacks, Stuxnet aside, because that was compromised through an insider, an engineer walking in with malware on a laptop, most of the attacks come through the enterprise or a DMZ in some way, shape, or form. Now, I know the Purdue model is um, usually more theoretical than practical in many organizations, but you see the attack path, the ICS kill chain, come through enterprise or a DMZ, the high levels in the Purdue model, supervisory levels, before you start to get down to anything that's uh, non-IT related. So your PLCs, your control systems, your actual actuators, this is where you need network detection response because obviously you cannot get anything else out of there easily. So network detection response is great at that lower level, but there are still what is fundamentally an IT-capable asset at the higher levels, the Windows, the Linux. And if you look at the threat intelligence, the Ukraine reports, for example, 
they're in the organization for well in well in excess of 18 months before they executed anything that was cyber physical or there is an opportunity to be able to leverage off-the-shelf capabilities even built-in operating system capabilities to be able to get visibility and early detection whilst mixing the network detection response at key choke points whether it's the enterprise to OT boundaries whether it's the remote access DMZ these are the choke points where NDR makes sense as well as in key areas for physical systems so your level one level zero in the Purdue model but what we're seeing is there is a large push for the additional use cases that now are carried with those vendors um, I love again reading strategy threat intelligence Sun Tzu know thy enemy so to uh, know thyself know thy enemy and you'll you'll never fear 100 battles uh, or some to some that something along those lines and from that perspective the key element there is well actually if you if you know how the actor or the adversary is going to behave what is it that they're likely to be trying to compromise and most organizations that run operational technology even modern ones even renewable energy or people using iot could not tell you with certainty what assets they have and where they are so something such as network detection response which is passive i can plug it into a network switch or again 30 year old infrastructure this could just be a network hub right it just broadcasts everything anyway so i could plug in a device that that will then just listen to the network and when something communicates over the network i can tell you where it is so being able to get asset visibility is is a key selling point for a lot of these technologies the the threat detection response that telemetry for when something goes wrong is becoming a backseat passenger in terms of why I'm buying the product. Now, they are very expensive products to deploy in what could be thousands of geographically yeah. distributed sites just for that one use case. So it's it's whether there is the opportunity for the market to change its model, not to repeat, but Microsoft, for example, with their CyberX acquisition, the good thing about Microsoft is it's a cloud model, right? So you can plug it in, you can use it, you can get the information you want, you can turn it off and stop paying for it. Um, so there are it's whether the market needs to be able to adapt to that model to be able to meet those point in time use cases to be able to meet those needs and then look at how and where selectively network detection response is put in place to give you maximum protection of your critical assets yeah i think that that's uh i mean the, the last thing that you mentioned with your critical assets and asset visibility in order to to accomplish those goals, uh, threat intelligence, and and knowing that that enemy, which I, I I love, you need to know and have a really good idea of the, the basics, <laughs> where your assets are, where your crown jewels are, and I think that you know, something another trend that we've seen over the last few years is architecture, yeah, as as a whole. So I mean that's it's cloud infrastructure and architecture, physical network, especially when it comes to OT. And making sure that not only do you know where everything is, but also that you are highlighting those choke points that Martin mentioned before in order to, for, for, for any of these products to make, make sense or, or solutions to make sense, you need to have a really good understanding of, of where all those things are and how they're going to be implemented in your architecture. And if you're not there yet, maybe there's a, a project instead of just buying something off the shelf and then throwing it into your current you know, architecture and, and where everything is, maybe you adjust your network, you adjust your cloud infrastructure in order to to maximize that the the efficiency of um, of these products so that 
you know exactly where these choke points are and you have a really good idea of how um, the solution is really going to work. Because if you don't, if you're not set up for that, if you're not set up for the success with, and you, and you have, don't have a firm understanding of asset visibility and, and that architecture, then, you know, you might be trying to implement a product and um, it might not, might not give you what you're looking for if you're not, you know, prepared for it. And the technology aside, bringing the OT engineers to the table give you the greatest prioritization of where to go and what to do. There is no one that knows your industrial control system better than your operational technology engineers. So where are the critical points? If what fails, where do the safety information uh, instrumentation systems come in? What actually causes a risk? Where are my physical safety barriers? Actually, these are the things that we need to start to look at first. So actually, they'll be able to tell you on what site, in which location, on what site. So that's where you start first. So again, if you're geographically diverse, there's going to be some key sites that your engineers can tell you exactly where to pinpoint first, map that out, and apply the controls there rather than trying to take an approach of trying to apply something everywhere. Again, it's the prioritization, understanding of the crown jewels and the people that know that best, the Eurotie engineers. Yeah, you guys have touched on so many things. I've had about 10 different offshoot thoughts, uh, important stuff there, but but stuff that we see from our surveying, broad-based, industry-based, you know, industry-wide, many industry surveys, you know, where's my stuff is the is the core primordial ooze phase for so many. And there's people still that don't even know. And I always say prioritization when you're using context of prioritization with you know the assets over other assets or endpoints and various choke points and important things, but even prioritization of effort, uh, it's like you just can't do all this stuff. And and that is cited uh, we see it very often is like well if you got to figure out where your stuff is, you maybe there's some more sophisticated things that you just don't do right now, because that sort of matters for a lot of different strategies that you might deploy later. Uh, or next, you know, depending on the, the hierarchy of that stuff. And so, yeah, where is everything? And, and then how is it communicating is often being cited as well. Where is it and how is it being, how is it communicating? And and you're, you're right, there's been years of growth. I was involved uh, in a startup, uh, you know, as far as passive collections of information, non-threatening to OT networks, lots to be learned. Now people are talking about active things and, and that's very uh, scary for a lot of people. So if we put active away, and say no, no endpoint in interrogation. Uh, even though there are people saying, "Hey, that can be safely done within these parameters." Put that aside. Lots to be learned just from plugging into span ports and plugging into to certain points and getting getting all that data and having it digested by a tool that can make sense of it. I'm imagining we're making great progress with the digestion and interpretation part with with things like AI. I'm assuming that's that's going to be transformed. I've, I've always thought I'm not an expert in that area, but we we know. Even outside OT, Target, for instance, we turn our tool down prior to their big incident because there's just too much data. There's too much stuff. That's the human being problem, right? Tool slash human being problem. So are we seeing, are we seeing, uh, you know, just on that one question, I could ask you 10. I, I, we're going to run out of time. This is such an important topic. What about AI making it so that digesting and making sense of it, all this data, you know, we, we've got to be on the cusp of great breakthroughs there. Well, we're already seeing in IT and being able to apply AI or specifically machine learning across certain elements that just reduce the noise for any security operations. And there's additional tooling saw that allows us to enrich alarms and then be able to classify early as a false positive and actually let's just not let, get, let that get anywhere near the SOC. For applying the same concept to um, OT, we do it with a number of organizations 
in IT, you look at UABA, you look at the analytics and the behavior around a human, but that same pattern analysis applies to network communication. So actually, if we're if we do have network detection response, or even if we're using EDR tools across an environment, then we'll still get to see what telemetry looks like, what IP communications look like. So what does this what does a standard baseline look like? So looking for what what is the normal, what is the abnormal, and being able to interrogate that again with an OT engineer. This is happening. This is what we're seeing. It looks abnormal for X, Y, and Z reasons. Can I get your input? Again, there is a good crossover or capability of IT and OT to be able to work together. You just have to have the understanding that actually incident response looks very different. The incident response path, the ownership, and the decision makers become different the moment that you realize that you're touching or even looking at an OT asset. Half of the time, you'll look at telemetry, but you'll never be allowed to log onto a box without bringing a colleague with you that knows how. So yes, being able to leverage AI to be able to understand what normal looks like is probably the key when it comes to industrial control systems. There are many vendors that try to go down to, again, when we're looking at packet level data, you can you can inspect Modbus, um, OCP, um, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to see actually what's happening, looking at the set points in the packet. But you have to be able to understand the ICS protocol and the process to that minute level. You need to be an engineer to be able to write those detections. And then when something's changed, you've got to maintain those detections. So actually just look at normal behavioral patterns rather than getting right into the process detail allows this easy and quick identification of something that's just not quite right. Yeah, that's important. We, we started tearing apart industrial packets 12, 14, maybe 12 years ago, yeah, 12, 14 years ago. Because that was the dawning. It was like, you know what? Just the fact that there's, you can detect some anomalies, um, increase in the amount of communication. But let's say it's staying level, but the packets have been changed. You got to go and look inside the industrial packet. I'm assuming the 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 leading products. You've named some companies that are in this space that are squarely in the OT space. That's what they've done. They've gone deep into the industrial protocols. Probably many at this point. And said, so now we're looking for a malformed. We, we really can't know this Modbus communication is not right. Versus, we, we see a communication going to a point that you know to some endpoint that wouldn't normally receive. That's important to know too. But even if even if these are trusted endpoints, but there's something weird going on in how they're communicating with each other. Yeah, absolutely. The the flags that are available within TCP or the IP pr- packet that sits uh, beneath it is really useful for any inspection. And what and we see in much of the ICS malware, it's the manipulation or the attempt of manipulation at, at that flag level. But many of them, whether it's discovery or playing around, will will look to try and find and understand what certain key key value pairs and set points actually do. So they'll be looking to be able to test certain things which become abnormal. So being able to say that uh, this is a, a key value point that's always set or this is a, a piece of ladder logic that is always set then actually start to see what normal looks like. So if something has a variation outside of that, then being able to understand that the difference between S7COM or Modbus, BACnet, et cetera, et cetera, being able to interrogate all of those ICS protocols is really key for any vendor to be able to get a return on investment quickly. They're looking to be able to be plugged in quickly and to be able to tell you when something's not quite right because that's their selling point. They're there to say that something isn't working as it's expected. So if you plug it in and it never tells you anything, there's not much uh, value for the money, is there? So they've got to be able to identify something that is untoward quickly. Now, the downside to that feeds your last point. Sometimes you get an awful lot of noise and false positives. We work with um, 
uh, a water utility company here in the UK. They're using one of those aforementioned top quadrant systems. They've only got it running across 200 physical sites, only 200. They've got 2,000. So it's a, yeah. it's a small, it's a small uh, element of their entire footprint. Yeah. But they're generating three to four hundred alarms a day, which is just noise. So they're having to go through three, six month tuning period to be able to refine that, to be able to understand actually what should I be looking at and what shouldn't I be looking at. So, yes, there can be value out of the box, but there can also be noise, just as you would see with any other t- technology out of the box. Where are we at maturity wise? Let's look at that one piece. Are we still, if you look at all the products on, on taken as a, you know, as a big group, a, a, B, C, D, E, R, F, you know, score, where are we on it's, you know, yeah, it's tunable and ready and you can get it down to manageable. Or are we in a period of time like is still a lot of experimentation? There's going to be a lot of adapt, adaptation, the tools need to continue to evolve. You know, we're not in the A category yet. The best we could do is B minus. You know, where, where are we? I think if you're on a scale of one to ten, I think the technology is out of the box in a well-configured environment. You're probably in the six, seven, eight region however there are still an awful lot of immature ics organizations when you consider cybersecurity and security architecture um so it's when you put them into those sorts of environments where actually it gets lit up like a christmas tree the moment you plug it in so there's there are other factors that influence the success of those products yeah and that factor point you made chase around I, i like your idea of maybe you need to do a project and not a wholesale implementation of some sort of thing I saw that in my career path too. And even now I look back at products that I was, you know, one of the co-founders of. Some people aren't ready to buy that product. Uh, they couldn't digest it. They couldn't use it. They couldn't operationalize it. They don't even have enough people. So it is about getting sort of the right timing, right? Or fitting the right set of solutions. And I imagine you guys do a lot. It's like, okay, here's your security maturity. So this would be appropriate for you guys right now. And it's not one size fits all. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And you know, un- unfortunately, maybe it's a mandate from a, a vendor or a new regulation that says you need continuous monitoring because um, we're talking about SIM here. And but your your two or three steps or five <laughs> steps by, uh, behind there, you know, yeah. when you're like, well, OK, I need to follow this mandate. So we need to implement this. Well, it's like, well, that can be on your roadmap. And I, I hopefully if you can you know, put that roadmap together. It says, okay, that's step five in our process, but we need to do these steps, these first four steps before we get there. And you can, you know, put together a plan of action um, and milestones so you can get to that that fifth step. You know, th- there's no need to rush to step five right away. It's 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 important to be self-aware as a as a business, especially when it comes to to OT, just because that. The, the implications and the, the 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 risk is inherently higher so it's yeah it's important to, to take your time be be self-aware as a as a security organization where are we on our journey and what should we do next prioritization which yeah. both of you have mentioned is pretty key definitely uh, a lot of acronyms and uh, and uh, abbreviations NDR MDR NDR MDR XDR uh, you know how do you weigh these things? And are there are there case studies or examples of things being missed, overly focusing on you know you know one attribute to the detriment of something else that was pretty important when selecting this kind of tool set we're talking about? Yeah, I think we've touched on it in a number of ways through the conversation already. Again, with the the real early days of NDR and and the real push for 
the more nuanced use cases now around asset discovery, NDA has been prominent across every environment. But again, if I take it back to the earlier point of the conversation, if we're looking at more traditional IT-like assets, yes, they are in scope of operational technology, but they're not actually interfacing with the ICS protocols or, or the ICS processes themselves, then actually they could be considered uh, more generalized IT. So this is where your, your MDR or your XDR could work in those technologies, your Windows, your Linux, for example. Then you can pull logs and give some level of um, quick containment. Again, if it if it's a bastion host, even your data historian, to some degree, you're going to allow some level of control over that you wouldn't necessarily give to a HMI. So actually, we can get telemetry out very easily. We can probably extract our block malware fairly easily, maybe cut network communication to something that we know is north of the operational technology rather than south. So it gives us that ability to respond rapidly. And Bridewell does research every year into operators of critical infrastructure. This is our fourth year. And just looking at some of the statistics this year, uh, in excess of 80% of critical infrastructure organizations in the US at this point in time, say that it takes them in excess of two hours just to start to, to respond to a, a cyber threat, specifically ransomware, for example. So being able to have some of those tools in the higher tiers gives you the ability to be able to separate pretty quickly. Now we know that change control and getting anything into an operational technology environment, even at those levels, is difficult. So there are still capabilities that can be taken that are native. So whether it's Windows event forwarding, whether it's syslog, we can extract raw telemetry out of those boxes that gives us great insight into some of those early, early access mechanisms. So I think it comes back to the prioritization that we've been talking about and looking at some of the quick wins. Again, applying those controls at the higher tiers is probably a much quicker win and gives you the early visibility of some of those ICS attack chains without much impedance into the OT environment. So actually look at the technologies and tools that can be used there and apply NDR where it is more relevant rather than jumping potentially to NDR as the default because of the other use cases. Yeah, I think it, it's just listening to your language. I think of, of some of the, at least, you know, conversations I've listened to with pure cybersecurity, don't have to really worry about how, how OT works and what the business function and mission is. Pure cyber, frustrated that we're not doing everything to solve all this versus really understanding acceptable, the concept of this is risks we're going to accept. We're going to mitigate these three. This is the way a board thinks across their entire enterprise. And that we've got to get more security people thinking that way, which is it's not all, it's prioritization. These three we need to mitigate and we can quantify why we're, you know, we're not just sort of guessing. We're saying here are these three and here's why. And there's frameworks, you know, now, you know, I want to see beyond emerging to help you quantify that. And it's, it's a mathematical formula. It's not just like how much damage could be done. Well, how likely is it? There's a variety of variables in there. Fix the ones that are the, the, the most unacceptable. And so that will guide some of these technology choices, right? It's like, Absolutely. If we do that and we're all saying, yeah, those three have got to get fixed. We would like to do more. It's not turning our, you know, turning our backs to those, but man, we better do these first. Then we could move on to others, right? Absolutely. And when we mix threat intelligence with risk management in that sense, then we start to get what we consider a proportionate control. So actually we can apply the right controls in the right place, usually 
being able to prioritize both resource and budgets to be able to get a much greater maturity level achieved sooner rather than just trying to take a, a big bang approach. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, let's talk about threat intelligence. Oh, wait, Chase, you want to add something? Uh, no, no, I think you guys covered it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about threat intelligence. Uh, you know, I know we're, we're getting along here, but I remember when it started to emerge. In fact, I, I, I sort of my very first company in 97, we call it network security intelligence. In a way, we were a threat intelligence center before anybody ever used that term, including us. And I'm curious if you guys will challenge me on this. I've been saying right in line with what we've already been talking about. If you have these, if you're a low maturity organization, you're probably not going out and buying the latest, greatest threat intelligence right now. You don't even know where your assets are. You don't know how they're communicating. You've got no network segmentation. You're, you know, you're putting, you're, uh, you know, doing corrugated cardboard, you know, in your, in your factory. Um, threat intelligence is probably not something you're, you know, going to, you're going to prioritize. And, and I'm really challenging me if you guys disagree with that. I always say I'm not throwing that category out, but it's, it's somewhere in the appropriate list uh, of things, but not, not if you don't even know where your stuff is and you have a, you know, an entirely flat network, but maybe not. If you've got an entirely flat network, absolutely find out what's on there and figure out how you can segregate it. If you don't know what assets you've got, that's absolutely a priority. I don't think threat intelligence has to be left for the more mature organizations. There's many, many, many forms of threat intelligence, but even taking worries readily available open source, even looking at frameworks like the MITRE attack model from MITRE Ingenuity, then they can tell you what the the top TTPs are that are used across all campaigns, even looking at the ICS MITRE attack map, then actually that can be mapped to mitigation. So here's the tactics, techniques, and procedures that are used by actors, uh, particularly in energy, for example, even that have operational impact, right? What are the mitigating controls that can be applied to that? So even taking threat intelligence at that high level, we're not talking about threat intelligence that feeds security operations. It's it's business risk. It's what control can be applied. It could be a policy. It doesn't necessarily mean go buy new technology. But as you evolve and start to look at the technology strategy, then even that same simplistic threat intelligence can be a start or a lead into that. Right, I still need to be able to protect these controls. If we look at control validation, it's testing the strength of that control. So this is the risk that I'm facing. This is where I think I've done to mitigate it. I still need to do something that can then inform where and what technology is procured to be able to continue to strengthen the controls across that environment. As you extend and mature, yes, threat intelligence blends and leads into many avenues. And if we go back to the same and the wide ranging technologies that we've got, we come back to the point whereby actually, if you are integrating more traditional IT tools, MDR, XDR, and NDR, and threat intelligence, you need one place to be able to bring all that together, right? So operating one SIM rather than one for IT and one for OT becomes an awful lot easier. And again, using threat intelligence that suggests the attacks are still coming through the enterprise to some degree, then actually having one place to be able to do forensics and see the timeline of an attack end-to-end it could become threat intelligence guides you down some of those technology decisions to say, actually, does it make sense to have one platform where all the tools are able to feed in? Yes, there may be subsections within SOC, OT specialist, IT specialist, but I now have a complete visibility of what's going on. Then in the last waves of threat intelligence, you get to the position of defining what your intelligence requirements are. What is it that you actually want to understand when, where, and how? And it doesn't necessarily mean going out and acquiring it. Again, looking at the research that we've done this year, 
the number one concern of OT operators and the thing that they think will make the massive impact to operational processes is malware. So just understanding, okay, what's the most prevalent malware? Even if you're looking at actors right now and how they communicate and what tools that they use, it's still Cobalt Strike. So just understanding Cobalt Strike, how can I detect it in my environment? How can I block it in my environment? You don't have to go and spend an awful lot of money on threat intelligence. There's plenty of simplified methodologies, frameworks, and reports that are out there to be able to give you a step up and get you going. You, you are very right to point out it's a spectrum. I, I have been thinking of some costly <laughs> services when I've been making that comment, and, and I'm going to reset how I make my comment. There is threat intelligence appropriate for everyone is probably better now what I what I Absolutely. will. I'll change how I say that from now on because I think yeah. that, that that's a good that's a good reminder that it's a it's a spectrum and so there's there's value for everybody at some level um, but maybe maybe not buying the latest and greatest most expensive threat intel service out there if you again if you, if you don't know if you're a security level one right yeah. okay yeah no completely completely agree I think the spectrum I think that's a way to great way to to think of of threat intelligence and some people you know when when threat intelligence comes up they think of they immediately think of those feeds that are going to your sock and it's like oh those that that's that's really complicated and that, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly like i don't that that's and that seems to be you know, expensive and that's going to be complicated to to implement and that's going to you know that's a whole other layer of maturity that um when when it doesn't that uh that knee-jerk reaction <laughs> to threat intelligence doesn't have to be like that um i think martin great points on looking at you know, what those TTPs are, uh, especially for your industry, your location, your crown jewels specifically, you know, what assets you're looking to protect and what are what are paramount to protect, looking at TTPs for those and then making the, the right change within the organization, whether that's technology or policy or process, it, it depends on the organization. It's different for everybody. Yeah. We do know, we do see in our annual report that the, the, the people who are self-reporting as level four or five in our, in our annual survey, they're definitely prioritizing threat intelligence higher than, than the, the, the level ones and twos um, who are just trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. And I think there's more counting small rural utilities, small water treatment plants. There are more probably numbers of companies, but they're a lot smaller. So quantity, I guess, in the smaller, less sophisticated or less mature range and then there's you know fewer, but but certainly a, in aggregate a big number of people that are that are uh, have these bigger companies that have been able to achieve higher maturities. Um, and and threat intelligence is in there. I think Sims, uh, you know, who's sitting behind it is a big question for people. Where does this information go? I like that you you mentioned. I think this is some of the to lay some of the fears of of people in operating environments. There needs to be some people in the SOC who are probably OT analysts. They're not IT people going. Oh, I don't know what a, what Profi bus or Profi net or you know what is what is this you know they they know what what they're looking at the, the protocols that should be in play in their environment and that they've got Siemens gear or ABB or Yokogawa or whatever you know, they know they, you know that's that's part of their their seat in the sock right but but it is one one sock that they, so they can see these incidents or these indicators that might be on either side of that you know divide but be be something worth investigating right and I and I think you're right there's so much stuff on the you know the tcpip transport layer it doesn't have to go all the way down to a level you know a level one device and I, you know i know some pure play ot people they're very concerned about 
compromise at the lowest, lowest level of the Purdue model. And I would say, again, prioritization. It's like, but if we can catch a bunch of dangerous things that are maybe trafficking at a, you know, at a, a, an IT level, let's capture those. Not dismissing that there could be greater risks, but it's back to this prioritization thing. No company can fix all that right now. Most can't try to fix all that right now. And there's some easily findable stuff in in the, you know, at those, like you said, those strategic choke points where there's a bunch of communication going back and forth between the corporate network and the OT network. Let's let's observe that. And it's amazing how many people still are non-observant. They're not, they're not observing that or looking at it at all. No, I absolutely agree with you there, Derek. I think it's a great summarization of the conversation we've just had. Well, hey, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, this was a pleasure. We'll have to uh, have another chat, uh, you know, in the not distant future. I think this was really good. And I like your, I like your guys' approach. I think this was helpful to anybody uh, anywhere, and uh, maybe give some nuggets too about uh, questions they should be asking their uh, their consultants and providers. And if they don't get good sort of good warm fuzzies back about uh, some of these things we talked about, then maybe they ought to look to look to go to, to somebody who talks. Uh, I think more more in the way the way you guys did today. So thank you. I'm just finishing up with Martin Riley, Director of Managed Security Services at Bridewell, and Chase Richardson, Head of the U.S. Operations for Bridewell. Thank you both, gents, for uh, for your time and for your your service to uh, to industry. We all benefit from getting all these these critical systems more secure. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having us, Eric. All right. Take care, gents. Thank you. Thanks.